Hello everyone, welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join me again this week. Before diving into today's episode, I just want to encourage you, if you have the time or interest, in the description down below, you can find a link to a lecture I recently gave for a Bible Institute online. It was on the evangelization of Britain, so I gave a short presentation on how the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms, think of those uh, British kingdoms from shows like the Vikings or the Last Kingdom, how they initially became Christian. So talking about both the evangelization efforts of the Celtic Christians coming from Ireland and Scotland and Wales into England, what we now know as England, and the evangelization efforts coming from the continent. So think of Gregory the Great sending Augustine of Canterbury to evangelize the Anglo-Saxons. Anyway, if that's interesting to you, I have a short lecture about 30 minutes down below in the link. Check it out. Let me know what you think. With that said, let's dive into today's episode where I will be presenting a new figure on this channel, and that is Henry Venn. Henry Venn is a pretty influential evangelical figure, an evangelical Anglican. Maybe you have heard of him, maybe you haven't, but either way, we're going to dive in. We're going to learn a little bit about his life, a little bit about his influence and the circle of evangelicals around him. And then finally, we will look at one of his works, a short work, a devotional work, which informs us on how we should be reading and approaching scripture as Christians. Anyway, let's dive in. Who is Henry Venn? Henry Venn was born in Surrey, England on the 2nd of March, 1725, to Richard Venn. And while you might not have heard of the name Venn, it's still an interesting family. They, Henry Venn and his father Richard, descend from a line of Anglican clergymen that stretched all the way back to the Reformation. So about 200 years of reformational ministry service in this family, an unbroken succession. And moving on from there, in 1754, Henry Venn became the curate of Clapham. That is a part of South London. And what makes that important is what took place in Clapham during the 18th century, those years of the evangelical revival, a favorite period on this channel. In Clapham, you would find the Clapham sect. Aptly named, this was an influential group of establishment evangelicals, which means evangelical Anglicans, who were centered around the parish of Clapham. And that, again, is a section in London. This group of evangelicals was initially sponsored by John Thornton. John Thornton was a wealthy merchant, a philanthropist, and who became a devout evangelical. And he would use his money from his merchant trade, from other business ventures, to support various evangelical ministers as they were getting off the ground in the mid to late 18th to 19th century. This is important to note because many of those familiar evangelical Anglican figures that many of us know and love would be associated with the Clapham sect that got started by John Thornton and, of course, Henry Venn. Think of people like John Newton and Amazing Grace, Granville Sharp, who has grammatical rules that many of us will recognize, William Wilberforce, that great British prime minister who is so closely associated with the abolition of the slave trade. Of course, Charles Simeon, if you're someone interested in preaching today and the preaching circles, you're familiar with Charles Simeon. And of course, the Thornton and Venn families, they would form the backbone of this sect, this group of evangelical ministers who just had such a profound influence on not only the evangelical landscape, but also the English-speaking world. 
How were they so influential? In addition to their individual efforts as ministers and missionaries, these groups, this group would be so foundational in the formation of the Church Missionary Society, which was founded in 1799, and the Bible Society. So when you think of evangelical missions to Africa, to the West Indies, to Asia, when you think about those great efforts of Bible translation or just getting the Bible into the hands of everyday lay people, the Clapham sect was that main group doing so much of that amazing evangelical work. When we think of the good evangelical work of church history and we think about the Anglican involvement in that, we're typically thinking about those either in or closely associated with the Clapham sect. And of course, many of us will know if you're interested in evangelical history, that great publication, The Christian Observer, that was the flagship sort of representation for this movement. It was a periodical that would compete with the greatest periodicals, whether secular or religious, of the time. Anyway, Henry Venn, as the curate and the rector of Clapham, he was closely associated with this movement, with this group. So back to Venn quickly. What made Venn so influential and what made him have such a long-lasting legacy, where we're talking about him today right now? First of all, he wrote many devotional works. I'd encourage you to check out The Complete Duty of Man. Secondly, he gave many influential sermons, especially for the evangelical Anglican landscape of his day. One example being the duty of a parish priest. As already mentioned, Venn was critical in the formation of the Clapham sect, and as a part of that, he was the first chairman of the Church Missionary Society, the CMS, and they did so much great work throughout Africa. You can, we'll talk about it in the future on this channel, the CMS's work in Sierra Leone, and of course in the Caribbean, that's where my studies are taking me now. Finally, Venn did die, as most people in church history do. He died in 1813, but his family, his son, his grandson, and more would continue his evangelical work and ministry. And I'm sure in the future on this channel, we will talk about some of the work of his son and grandson. Anyway, that's who Henry Venn is. I hope you found this briefer biological uh, sketch interesting. If you have more questions, feel free. Let me know. Happy to talk more about Henry Venn. We'll talk about him more in the future, probably get into more of his works. But right now, we want to dive into what he had to say to Christians as we approach Scripture and seek to read it properly. In Tom Schwanda's work, The Emergence of Evangelical Spirituality, a book that I've referenced on this channel before, you will find one work by Henry Venn, and it's called Four Guidelines for Reading Scripture. That's Four Guidelines for Reading Scripture. What I'm going to do is briefly present you quotes that represent each of these guidelines, each of these rules, and then briefly talk about how you might assimilate it into your reading of Scripture. Let me start with the first one. Here's what Venn has to say. Whenever we open the sacred, the inestimable book of God, we should lift up our hearts to him to teach us the true meaning and sense of what we are going to read. This is necessary because the doctrines which are the very glory of scripture offend our natural pride and its precepts contradict our dearest lusts. Essentially, Venn is saying when we as Christians seek to read scripture, we should do so prayerfully. We should do so worshipfully. 
recognizing that we approaching scripture are fall as fallen human beings have so many ways that we could trip up, that we can be blinded, that we could refuse to see the truth of scripture. So we truly need God's help as we read scripture. That, of course, ties into the illumination of the Holy Spirit. When we read scripture, which is God's word to people, we need his help in making the most of it. We need his help in seeing what he has to say. God's word is so amazing, but we are not. We need his help. So when you open the word to read, don't just read it. Start with asking for God's help. A quick prayer, Lord, help me learn, help me read, help me see what I need to read, see, and learn. Holy Spirit, open my eyes that I might gain what I should gain from the reading of the scripture. Something along those lines. When we read scripture, we need God's help and we need to approach it prayerfully. The second guideline, and I'll quote then again. A second rule, no less worthy of our constant and careful observation, is to read but a small portion at one time. We must pause and deliberate much on the things signified by the words. We must labor to fix the true import of the divine expressions deep in our minds, so that the very spirit of the Bible may be, as it were, transcribed into them. If you've been a Christian for a while, or perhaps a new Christian, you know the pitfall of wanting the Bible so much, of being so excited about the Bible that you read so much of it in a day, so much of it at a time. You just want to get as much Bible in you. And while I think everyone would agree that is such a noble ambition, then is calling us to caution. Rather than focusing on the quantity of our reading, we should focus on the quality. And his advice is to read a small portion. Read a little bit at a time, a chapter or two. And if it's a longer chapter, maybe break it up. Not so that you're reading less of the Bible, but so that you can soak in the Bible. That you can read it carefully. That you can reflect as you read it. That you can pray as you read it. That you can really think about what you're reading. Rather than just getting a lot of the Bible in, reading the words and it's in one ear and out the next, Read a small portion so that you can really absorb it. And of course, following from there, apply it. So when you read the word, even if it's a small portion, make sure you have the time to really soak in it, to really take it in. The third rule, which is building off the second. Nearly allied to this careful meditation on the word of God is, an, is another important rule which we must observe. Exact ourselves correspondent affections. And if we do not experience them, to lament and bewail the poverty and misery of our condition. Essentially, Venn is saying, as we read what scripture says, whether it's about the glory of God, his holiness, his wonder, his wisdom, his majesty, or if we're reading about the misery of humanity, if we're reading about our sin and our need of salvation, as we're reading these different things, the highs, the lows, and anything in between, make sure that our hearts reflect what the word is saying. As we read about the wonder of God, seek to have that wonder of God in your heart. Be in awe of God as you're reading about why God is worthy of awe. As you're reading about our need of salvation, feel that need of salvation. Reflect on your need of salvation. As we're reading about the excellencies of Jesus Christ, the wonder of his ministry on his earth, the glory of his ascension and rule, just be flabbergasted by who Jesus is. Be transformed by that message of peace and goodness that comes from Jesus Christ that we have in the gospel. 
what we're reading in scripture should shape our hearts. And if it isn't, then recognizes that sometimes it won't. Bewail that. Turn that into prayer. If you're reading about how amazing God is and you're not in awe of him in that moment, recognize that you need help, that you need God's help to give you the corresponding affections to what you're reading. Don't just meditate on the word. Don't just think critically about it, but allow your heart to be transformed by it. Move with scripture. Allow its tone, its pace, its content to shape what you're about, what you're feeling, and what you're seeing. Moving on to the final point, the last guideline for reading scripture. Then says this. Lastly, we must read those portions of scripture most frequently which relate to the subjects of the greatest moment. For as in the frame of our body God has ordained some parts absolutely necessary to its life, others to its comfort and ease, others again to its ornament, in the same manner scripture is composed. What then is saying is we can look at our bodies, we recognize that we need our brains, we need our hearts, but certain things like maybe our pinky fingers, while they're nice, while they're great, while they're important, they're not the heart. We could live without our pinky fingers. We could live without our toes, for example. Things which we love, which are important, which we need, but they're not things like the heart, where it's the foundation of our body. It pumps the blood. You can't live without a heart. Or perhaps it's like our teeth. Teeth are certainly important. Please, if you're a young person or old person watching this, take care of your teeth, brush your teeth. But we recognize that it's possible to live without our teeth. They improve our quality of life. They are a great and wonderful gift from God, which complete our being. But we know that if someone loses their teeth, they get knocked out or they don't have them anymore, they could still live. Then is suggesting that scripture is quite similar. Certain parts of scripture are absolutely necessary to our life as, uh, as Christians. So, for example, we need the gospel accounts which tell us who Jesus Christ is. We need those accounts which tell us about how the gospel relates to our life. We should be meditating on those aspects of scripture frequently, constantly. But we can recognize that perhaps some other parts of scripture, while so important, while part of scripture as a whole, while they tell us the story, maybe we don't need to meditate upon them quite as often. So for example, the minor prophets, while we know that they are important to scripture, while we have so much to gain from reading them, while we should read them, while we should meditate upon them, they don't fill the same role that a gospel of Jesus Christ does. While the gospel, while it's one story, while it's one story of redemption throughout scripture, while we shouldn't neglect any of it, we intuitively know that some parts of scripture play a more central role than others. So we might think of classic examples, so perhaps the long lists of genealogies or laws in the Old Testament. Critically important. I will never tell you to skip over those parts. I will never tell you to ne neglect them or not take them seriously. But I think we should recognize that while we will frequently meditate perhaps upon the Psalms, perhaps upon the Exodus from Egypt, perhaps upon the Ten Commandments, perhaps there are certain lists in the book of Numbers or perhaps certain sacrificial laws in the book of Leviticus where we don't need to meditate upon them quite as often. That's what then is suggesting here. It's not a call. I'll be I'll lay this on pretty thick. This is not a call to ignore certain parts of scripture, but rather it's a call to give certain parts of scripture much more meditation than we might otherwise. 
I hope that's clear. If you have a question on that, because that is something I think is worth talking about that. Do you agree with that? Let me know in the comments down below. That would be a fascinating discussion topic. And I'm happy to hear what you have to say or what you think on that. And that's, of course, for anything that we discuss on this channel. In closing now, I want to read you the prayer that Venn closed this tract with. Follow with me as I read this prayer from Venn on scripture. Finally, O God, as you have caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our reproof, for our correction, for our instruction in righteousness, teach us, we beseech you, the true meaning and interpretation thereof. Let us not go wrong out of the way of your commandments by learning, by leaning to our own understanding or by calling any man master. Give us to delight in reading your word and pondering it in our hearts. And as we read, may we drink deep into its spirit, be molded by it in all of our sentiments, tempers, and practice, that in the end we may enjoy that eternal life which is revealed in your word and promise to all them that obey it. Hear our prayers and do abundantly for us above all we can ask or think through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. That's Henry Venn. That's his guidelines for reading scripture. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any comments, any questions, any suggestions, please leave them in a comment down below. Find me on Twitter, on Discord, send me an email. I'd love to continue the conversation. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd encourage you, leave a like, share it with a friend. I'd love to bring more people into our conversations on church history. But anyway, that's it for now. Thank you for joining me. I will see you next time here on Christian's Colloquy. Take care.